All right. We're in uh, the Gospel of Mark, the book of Mark. We've been studying this since the beginning of the year. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with us. We finally have made it to chapter 7. And, uh, okay, I do have control. And today we're going to talk about purity and where purity comes from. It's a famous passage in Scripture where Jesus does what he does a lot of times in the Gospels as he calls out the bad guys in the Gospels. The bad guys are the, are the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the ones that they, they understood so much of the letter of the law, but they missed the spirit of the law. So the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and maybe you know somebody like this, or maybe you are somebody like this today. Maybe you're here today and you say, yeah, that's kind of a little bit me. You're, you're a rule follower. You're a rule keeper. You're not a rule breaker. There's nothing wrong with that, except for when you think that that's what God, that's what makes you worthy before God, except for when you think that that's what gives you the ability to stand before God and have a relationship with him, and that's kind of where the Pharisees were, the leaders in, in Jesus' day, is they were, they were leading the Jewish people away from the true spirit of the law, the intent of the law, and they were trying to get people to think about just crossing their T's and dotting their I's and keeping a checklist. And so in today's lesson, Jesus is going to quote an Old Testament verse. It's a famous Old Testament verse. In fact, it's the second most famous 2913 in the Bible. 2913, if, you know, if, you know, if you've been around Alpine any, for any length of time, then you'll know this verse. Jeremiah 2913, this is the first most famous 2913 in the Bible. Jeremiah, Old Testament, Jeremiah, he was a prophet. And this is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and God makes this incredible promise that, that we love to talk about around here at Alpine. God said, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Now, when, when we read the word heart in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament, it's not what we think of in our culture today. Today, when we say, like, for example, when we say follow your heart, right, when we say follow your heart, what, what are we talking about? We're talking about your feelings, but when the Bible talks about your heart in their culture, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it had a much broader meaning than your feelings. In fact, it wasn't your feelings. Wholeheartedly pursuing God means you pursue God with all of you. You pursue God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind. You pursue God with every part of you, every fiber of your being. It's, it's kind of like, it's, it's like how we do baptism. Here at Alpine, we in fact, in the second service, we're going to baptize three brothers today. It's going to be awesome. And what we're going to do is we're going to dunk them in the water. And th now there's two reasons we do that. Number one is because that's, that's the pattern in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus was baptized in a river by being dunked in the water. So that's one reason we do it that way. But the other reason we do it that way is because of what it symbolizes. It symbolizes that we're connecting to Jesus, that Jesus went into the... He went into the tomb, and he came out of the tomb alive. And so when we dunk someone in water, we're, we're symbolizing this, this connection that we have to Jesus, that we're saying that we're going all in. We're going all in. That's why we, for these, for these brothers, we're going to hold them down a little bit longer. <laughs> the mom and dad are going to be back there with us, and as long as we, they feel like we need to hold them down, we're going to do it. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But it, it really is, it kind of reminds me of this word wholehearted. It's, it's saying, I want, to go, I want to go all in. God is saying, if you go all in, 
if you go all in and really seek me with everything you have, you'll find me. That's a promise. He's not, God's not playing hide and seek. God's not, he's not trying to be you know, absconded from your view. He wants you to find him. And you can find him, by the way, in the pages of the Bible. That's why we preach from the Bible every week here. And so that's the first and most famous 2913 in the Bible. But there's another 2913, and this is the one that, that Jesus is going to quote today in our text when we get to it. And it's from another Old Testament prophet. It's from Isaiah. And here's what Isaiah 2913 says. And so the Lord says, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. So see, here's what's, we don't have a ton of time to get into this, but in Isaiah's day, he's, he's talking to a people who had gotten so accustomed to all, this, all the trappings of religion and Judaism. They got really good at you know, bringing sacrifices to the temple and doing all these things that, that they were supposed to do, checking the boxes, crossing the T's, dotting the I's. But it had gotten to the point where they didn't know why they were doing it anymore. So, so they were saying all the right stuff. They were technically doing all the right stuff. But God knew their hearts. Their, their hearts were cold. They didn't have any relationship with God. They, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't doing it from a place of, of wanting to know and to love God. And remember, Jesus told the Pharisees that the greatest commandment in the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. So all in, wholehearted, wholehearted. That's what Jesus said. That's, that's what the law is about. The law is about loving God with everything you've got. That's what it's about. And then that, what that's going to do is it's going to impact the way you love other people. That's why he said love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. So see, wholehearted faith Wholehearted faith doesn't just mean that you find God in a relationship with God. It actually means that you find a relationship with your, with your neighbor, with people in your world. That it impacts your relationships. It, it impacts even your ability to love yourself. So wholehearted pursuit of God impacts you spiritually. It impacts you relationally. It even impacts you emotionally. And this is really what we understand as we read the Bible, but what tends to happen in institutional religion, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with organized religion. Some people hate organized religion. That's why we try not to be too organized around here. <laughs> organized religion's not bad, but what tends to happen with institutional anything, whether we're talking about institutional faith or institutional education or institutional government, what tends to happen with institutions is you get away from your like your value, your core values and what you're really supposed to be about. And, and generations later, it's like you're so disconnected from where you started that it doesn't even, that the, the country 200 years later doesn't even look anything like what it looked like 200 years ago. Or the faith 2,000 years later doesn't look anything like what it looked like in the early church. And so that's what we're looking at today is the, this contrast between these two 29.13s, and so with that in mind, let's get into our text. Uh, no, actually, with that in mind, let's ask this really basic question. Are you missing the point of a pursuit of God? Like a pursuit of God is supposed to be about relationship with him. It's supposed to be about loving him and loving people and all that stuff, but 
But if in Isaiah's day they could miss the point, and we're going to see in Jesus' day that Pharisees missed the point, then we should ask the question ourselves, am I missing the point? So keep that in mind as we study today. All right, now let's get to the text. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 4. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. Now, parenthetical note, number one, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, did not eat until they, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by the ancient traditions. Now, notice that it says, as required by the ancient traditions. It's not saying as required by the scriptures. It's saying as required by the ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions, there that word is again, traditions, we're not actually talking about scripture, we're talking about traditions. So this is just one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now, okay, so Mark is explaining this. He's trying to set up this interaction that we're about ready to have between Jesus and the Pharisees. But it starts with the Pharisees. You can kind of see where this is going. It starts with the Pharisees. They're going to be a little bit judgmental here because that's what people tend to do when they care more about religion than about God is they tend to get a little bit judgmental. And so Mark is setting us up for the next verses here. Verse 5, it says, So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples... Follow our age-old, there the word is again, tradition. Now notice, they're not saying, why don't your disciples follow the law, the word, scriptures? They said, why don't they follow tradition? This is called the tradition of the elders. It wasn't, it's not actually, even though there is some stuff in the Old Testament about hand-washing and purification and that sort of thing, so much of what Mark is pointing out is just what's called the tradition of the elders. It's all this extra stuff that, that centuries of religion had piled on top of God's word. So, you know, here we have God's word, but then we just pile these traditions on top of it, and this is what had happened in, in thousands of years of Judaism. You got all these traditions, and pretty soon you're like, wait, what's underneath all this again? And they'd forgotten about the word. This is not the Bible, by the way. This is just the pursuit booklet, but it's just a prop. It's kind of like my meat prop. They piled on top of that, and pretty soon they couldn't see what was underneath it. And so this is what, this is what the Pharisees asked Jesus. Now, I love this. Whenever we, whenever we get to a question like this, it just, like we're at the edge of our seats because Jesus was so brilliant. Jesus was the guy that had such clarity on what the word was about, what the law was. He had such picture-perfect clarity that he always had something to say, and we, sh- we would always do well to pay attention to what Jesus said. So here's what Jesus said. He said, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. So that 29:13 verse we just read, Jesus is saying, Isaiah was talking about you. That was a prophecy about you. 800 years later, that was a prophecy about you, and here's the prophecy. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. 
For you ignore God's laws and substitute your own tradition. Look at the last thing Jesus says there. You ignore God's laws and substitute your own tradition. So what he's saying is, at the bottom of all these traditions was God's law, God's truth, God, what, what God wanted you to hear, what God wanted you to understand. But instead of what's at the bottom of all of it, you're substituting your own tradition. In other words, your own tradition has become more important than God's very word, than God's very laws. Now let's just pause for a second and let's point, point some fingers at some people. Can we just do that? That's what we're all, we're all ready to do that today, right? That we, that some of, I know that most, you know, as we're, as we're studying the scripture in preparation to share it with you here at Alpine Church, we're thinking to ourselves, who is this message for? Like who is this, at Alpine Church, who is this message for? It is for all those people who show up week in and week out, dressed to the tees, in their ties, in their, in their suits, they're, 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 they show up on time for service. They show up on time for service. They're sitting in their chair waiting for service to start, praying for the pastor as they're waiting in their chair for the service to start. So this is for nobody. <laughs> I mean, right? Like, was anybody here... When service started, very few people. So I want to just say thank you to all of you first-time guests who were here in the seats before service started, because here's, what, here's an age-old tradition at Alpine Church. Can I just go ahead and say this? It's like, service starts at 9.45, we're going to be rolling in here at 9.50, 9.55, maybe 10 o'clock. Can I get an amen? amen? Okay. In other words, I'm not like pointing fingers at you, I'm really not. Like, in other words... I don't think right now at this stage in Alpine Church's history, 20-some years in, I don't think that we have a lot of like rule followers, people who substitute their own traditions for God's law. I think we're, we do a pretty good job at having freedom, <laughs> right? We have freedom, we have liberty, and I think that's a great thing. I think that's a wonderful thing. I don't think we have very many people who are super focused on the rules. I think we get liberty really well. I don't think we have a lot of legalism at Alpine Church. And I'm commending us for that. Like some of you are waiting for me to like, no, I'm really saying that's great. I think it's awesome. I think ties are stupid. I don't understand. <laughs> like if you, if you want to talk about tradition, a tie, where did this even start? Wearing a tie. Come on, man. Like what? I understand if you use it as a napkin to wipe the mustard you know, off your face when you're eating a hot dog, but we're not allowed to use ties like that. So what is it, like a tie is a perfect example of something that doesn't make any sense. It would make sense for women to wear ties because they like to do things that don't make sense. <laughs> hey, hey, it's Father's Day. Isn't this why we come? We can say whatever we want on Father's Day. I don't, like women wear heels. And I'm like, why? Why are you doing that? It seems so uncomfortable. They're taking them off at weddings. They're taking them off because they're uncomfortable. You're like, what are you doing? 
Why are you doing that? It doesn't make practical sense. And then they point at us with our ties on. And they're right. It doesn't make any sense. Ties are dumb. It's a a great example of something where you've forgotten why we're doing this in the first place. This isn't a sermon about ties, by the way. It's a sermon about forgetting, forgetting what the point is. And we don't have a problem, for the most part, forgetting what the point is. We have freedom. We understand that our freedom is in Christ. If you're here today and you're coming out of a tradition where you need to hear this, then this is for you because there are many people that come through the doors at Alpine that are still learning that we have freedom. And we have freedom. We have freedom in Jesus. We have freedom from pointless rules. We have, we have freedom from stuff that, that, that is just simply tradition that doesn't go back to Scripture. We have freedom. I want you to hear that. We have freedom. If you're here today and you're, you're new to Alpine, I want you to, we want you to experience the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. We want you to experience that. And so I want to encourage you to continue to come, continue to worship with us, continue to understand that freedom and experience that freedom. But we're only one-third done with the sermon. Because the rest of this now is for all y'all. Because here's what Jesus says in verse 9. You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. Got it, Jesus. He's, he's still... He's still pushing this point for the Pharisees. And then he gives an example. For instance, Moses, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother. Anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. That's cool. We're on Father's Day. What? That's a great verse for Father's Day. Okay. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. So see, what what Jesus is saying here, and we don't have time to get into all the details, but basically, apparently in that day, 2,000 years ago, these quotes up up top were quotes actually from Scripture. Those are quotes from Scripture saying, you should honor your father and mother. That's the fifth commandment. There are ten commandments. The first four are about your relationship with God. The last five are about your relationship with people. You see that? Love God, love people. And the connecting commandment is about family. The connecting commandment is about loving your father and your mother, respecting and honoring your father and mother, which is for a whole other sermon, by the way, but I think this is what our culture is missing, is this connecting, this place that the family plays in helping kids to understand how to respect and honor God, and therefore how that impacts your relationship with people in society. But anyway, Jesus is just, he's quoting actual scripture that they should be paying attention to, but then he's, he's showing them that they get off on a technicality that, that basically some people back in Jesus' day were saying, oh, I've made a vow to give this money to the temple, to the church, to religion. I made this vow to give this money to the temple. And therefore, you disregard when your parents are in need, you disregard the law in the first place. It's pretty crazy that Jesus is, he gives a very specific example so clearly this, is, this was happening in their day. There were people coming that were not fulfilling their duty to their parents because they were just trying to look good to everyone at church. Now again, I, I, it's, it would be easy to get like super zeroed in on that and focused on that, but what I'd rather look at is the next thing Jesus says because this is what applies to us. Verse 13. 
And so you cancel the word of God in order to handle, hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. So Jesus is saying, I could go on all day. There are so many examples of you canceling the word of God in order to hand down your tradition. Now again, he's saying you substitute your tradition for what God's word has already said. But here's, what, here's how I want to apply it to us today. This is where I feel like, so that we're not just listening to this and what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and pointing fingers at legalistic people because most of us, as I've already established, most of us aren't very legalistic. Here's what I want you to focus on is that Jesus said you cancel the word of God. Because here's what I think we do in the American church today. Here's, even in this church today, even some of you sitting here today, this is what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. We are just as guilty of canceling the word of God. We are just as guilty, maybe not in a legalistic sense, maybe not in a religious sense, we don't cancel the word of God because of religion, we cancel the word of God because of irreligion. We don't cancel the word of God because of legalism, we cancel the word of God because of illegalism. Or the, the, word, the actual word for that is called antinomianism. Antinomianism is the, is the word that describes this. Well, God saved me by his grace, so I can do whatever I want. I'm saved by God's grace. We just sang about this. I'm sa- Thank you, Jesus. It's your cross. I'm saved by the grace. All that stuff is true. But here's what happens. So, see, it's this kernel of truth at the bottom of it. But then year after year, generation after generation, we take that and we say, we, make, we draw the wrong conclusion from that. Just like the religious Pharisees were doing. They were drawing the wrong conclusion from the law. We were, we're drawing the wrong conclusion Today as well, this is, I think, what we're in danger of, is we're saying, I'm saved by grace, and therefore, I do whatever I want. God doesn't care how I live. And so what are we doing? We're canceling the word of God. We're substituting, we're not substituting our religious tradition, we're substituting, hear this, we're substituting our irreligious tradition because of our freedom. We have freedom, we do whatever we want. And then therefore, we're missing the whole point of a pursuit of God. Go back and read this passage, and you'll notice Jesus never in this passage, or anywhere in Scripture, never does Jesus throw out the law. Never. Jesus doesn't say, oh, I don't know what we were thinking when we wrote the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Never mind about that. Jesus never throws out the law. Jesus doesn't throw out the rules. What does he do? He fulfills the law. He fulfills the rules. He lives up to the rules perfectly, and we can't. And so what we say is, oh, thank you, Jesus, for living up to the rules and fulfilling the rules, and, and, and then we go one, just one step too far, and we say, thank you for canceling the rules. But, but he didn't cancel the rules. We're canceling the word of God in order to hand down our own traditions. Again, they're not, our traditions aren't religious, they're irreligious. And so I think what God wants to speak to us in this is to really evaluate our lives and our homes and our families and say, wait a second, what are we allowing 
in the name of grace and in the name of freedom, what are we allowing in our homes? What are we watching on our TVs that would break the heart of God? And our kids see us watching that, and so we're passing that tradition down to our kids. And they get this idea that God doesn't care what we watch, that God doesn't care what we listen to in our music, that God doesn't care if we have a little too much to drink, that God doesn't care, young people, if you do what all of our culture is doing right now, which is just, you know, living with, living with your girlfriend, living with your boyfriend, like, none of that stuff matters. Why? As Christians, why? Oh, because we're free. Because Jesus saved us. We're saved by grace. So we're free to do whatever we want. Who said that? Where do you find that in Scripture, that you're free to do whatever you want? In fact, Scripture says we're not free to carry out our good intentions because there's something broken in us. In fact, that's how Jesus continues here in this in this passage, he gets to what, he, what defiles you. He's, Jesus called the crowd to come in here. So now we expand the, Mark is, is like a, he's like a film director. So now he's expanding it out. So the first movement of this message, Jesus is talking to, to the Pharisees. And now, the, now this, the screen zooms out and he's talking to the crowds. He calls the crowds over. He says, I want all of you to listen to this part. Because the Pharisees were leading you wrong. And so he said, Try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You're defiled by what comes from your heart. And then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd. And his disciples, now we're zooming in the, the camera lens a little bit. Now it's just Jesus with his disciples. And they're like, it's so funny. They asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. They didn't understand the parable. And, and Jesus is like, don't you understand either, you morons? Father's Day. And he said, can't you see that the food you put in your body can't defile you? Food doesn't go into your heart. It only passes through the stomach. And then it goes into the sewer. And then one more parenthetical note. By saying this, Jesus declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. Oh my gosh. Like this was mind-blowing. That right here in Mark chapter 7, Jesus is completely changing everything. This is why the disciples didn't understand it. Jesus was declaring that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. That means you can, you can eat pork. You can eat lobster. It's not shellfish anymore. I mean selfish. It's not selfish anymore to do that, to eat pork. <laughs> Father's Day. Dad joke. You have to have some dad jokes on Father's Day. Like this was a, this was a huge deal. This was a huge deal for the Pharisees, for the disciples to understand that, that Jesus is coming and he's basically, he's basically saying that all those kosher food laws, he's, it, they're going to be done now. But we're going to see next week, come back next week, because we're going to see that actually it wasn't just that any kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes, it's that any kind of people, any kind of people are acceptable in God's eyes. Because it's not just, for Jews, they said there are clean foods and unclean foods, exactly how they thought about people. There are clean people and unclean people. And for the people, it was, it was just as clear 
for people as it was for food. If, if you were Jewish, you were clean. If you were Gentile, you were unclean. This is why they had to wash their hands so much. If you hung out in Gentile territory, you had to literally wash your hands just because you were hanging out with some Gentiles. It wasn't about COVID. It wasn't about germs. It was ritual cleansing. It was, it was ritual stuff. And Jesus just, parenthetically, Mark says, Jesus just like, blew their minds with all of this. And then he adds, he says this, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. This is the first sin list in the Bible. Well, at least in the New Testament. The most famous one is in Galatians 5, the, the, the works of the flesh. And, and Paul lists out the works of the flesh. Jesus has an even bigger list right here. And Jesus says, all these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Could I just point out that Jesus doesn't give this list and say, all these things are not vile. You can do whatever you want. It's not what he's saying. He's saying... You're broken from the inside out. You're broken from the inside out. You need help from the inside out. Now, the religious leaders were trying to get pure from the outside in. The religious leaders were saying, if I wash my hands, if I wash my hands 100 times a day, maybe I can be pure. Maybe doing something on the outside can impact me on the inside. And Jesus is saying, that's not how it works. Because you're broken from the inside, you need to be changed from the inside out. But the Jewish people were throwing out the law, or were, were throwing out God's point when they thought about the law, and we today are throwing out the law altogether. We today are saying, oh, I do whatever I want. These things don't matter. I can do whatever I want. But nowhere in Scripture does it say that. And so back to the question we started with. Are you missing the point of a pursuit of God? If you thought the point of a pursuit of God was to set you free to just live your own way, to live your own life and to not be guilty anymore because all of it is covered by the blood, you can, do, you can live however you want now because Jesus died for you this is what Christianity in America has turned into. And when we do that, we cancel the word of God. The truth is there is right, there is wrong. There is sinfulness. Sin is a thing. Sin is a thing in every single one of us. Every one of us sitting here, sin is a thing. And here's how God thinks about it. He wants to deal with it from the inside out. He wants to change us from the inside out. And so my message to you today, I think really the message about inner purity is that Jesus cares about purity. He didn't have this whole interaction with the, the Jewish leaders to say, I don't care about purity. He had the whole interaction to say, it's where purity comes from. It comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from you. You can't make yourself pure. This is where we turn to Jesus and 
and trust in him for salvation. And then he begins to do this work in our hearts. He begins to do this work in our lives where he, he begins to actually change us from the inside out. Let's not cancel the word of God anymore. Let's not make it say what we want it to say like the religious leaders were doing. Let's look into his word, his pure, holy word, and let's say, God, allow me to live the way you wanted me to live all along. God, allow me to be wholehearted, wholehearted in my pursuit of God. God, let me go all in for you. I want to go all in for you. And that means I want it to change the way that I live my life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that that you sent Jesus to die on the cross and to set us free, but I thank you that Jesus had these kinds of interactions before he went to the cross. I thank you that Jesus wasn't afraid to challenge the status quo and call people out for canceling the word of God. And I thank you that we as a church don't struggle with legalism by and large. But God, I pray that you would help us to understand that we can cancel the word of God from the exact opposite perspective as well. Lord, may we not appropriate your word for our own purposes. May we not twist scriptures to say what we want them to say. But God, I pray instead that we would look at your law, that we would look at your word, and we would say, Jesus, help me from the inside out to live the kind of life that you wanted me to live all along. God, I pray that you would purify us from the inside out. God, I pray for people even today, even this week, who are living in sin and they know that they're living in sin. And God, somehow they've justified it in their head. God, I pray that today you would convict us of that. God, that you would call that out in our hearts from the inside out. And I pray that you would lead us to live the kinds of lives, the kinds of wholehearted pursuit that you wanted all along from us. Thank you, Jesus, that you made it possible. And God, I pray that we would all take hold of that kind of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.